Hey guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talco Supremo. Hey John, can you cover the Eve Carson murder case for me? In a nutshell, Carson was the UNC Chapel Hill student body president and recipient of the Moorhead Kane Scholarship. So basically, she was super smart. Her abductors killed her because she saw their faces. But it's what she did before her death that will surely pull out some tears. There's a charming butterfly chair memorial dedicated to her along with a 5K run and a scholarship. Anyways, I know you'll do a remarkable job with the research and the episode will help keep her story alive. And by the way, I absolutely love this podcast. I'm pretty much your biggest fan. Toodle doodles, Lauren. Well, tacos, as you, some of you may or may not know, but, um, John and I are getting married exactly one month from today. Woohoo, happy month anniversary. Thank you. The 21st of May. Nope. Although it by the time this episode is released, it'll be less than a month, but you know. And I'm sure, I know, actually, I know some of our Taco Supremos are going through something similar to what John and I are, which John doesn't really care, but it's a little stressful trying to figure out what a a wedding would be during coronavirus, but our Taco Supremos did the coolest thing, and they literally pulled some money together and got us, like, the most expensive thing on our registry, and I'm so thankful. That is the nicest thing, you guys. Um, We're just blessed to have such awesome fans. Yes, thank you so much. The Espresso Machine is great. It's a Breville, and I've been... Jacked on coffee all fucking day. <laughs> yes. We will all now have fancy espressos all all morning. You guys are so awesome. And John and Nicole were very surprised and very mad at me for a moment. Yes. I was pissed at Jen. Because I originally was going to buy it and she was like, you better fucking not buy it. And I was like, no, I think I can make payments on it. It'll be fine. She's like, no, do not buy it. And then it came in the mail and she was like, Jen, what did you do? And I was like, I didn't do it. I swear. She was like, you knew about this. I was like, I didn't have anything to do I with swear. it. I swear. I had no idea. So tonight's story is for one of our Tacos Primos. And I want to say before we get started that... Now you don't have to yell at me for not doing your stories, you Supremos out there. Now you can yell at Savannah because she is in charge of collecting all the stories. Is she still picking out which ones you're doing yes, next? Yes, so she started picking out which ones that uh, I should cover so I'm not all over the damn place. Nice. Thank you, Savannah. Yeah, can we like give Savannah an official welcome to the yeah. TMTM team? She's on yes. our website. She's yeah. on our website. and. Thank you so much for your unpaid and probably never will be paid service. <laughs> free free Supremo memberships for life. <laughs> we appreciate your hard labor. Yeah. Uh. Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. Well, I feel like I'm not going to like this. I love this one. So good. So good. Ugh, fuck. Are you shitting me? That actually wasn't that bad. What is it? Jack Honey. It's so good. Yeah, that was good. 
gross. I, don't, I can I can do the Jack honey. Tastes a little bit like honey cough medicine, but that's okay. Oh, it's never probably had honey tasting flavor. weird because I'm mixing it with the espresso. Yeah, probably. Because mm-hmm. the espresso is really bitter. Tonight's story is for our Taco Supremo in North Kakalaki, Lauren. <gasps> Lauren has requested a couple really yeah. good stories. So thank you so much, Lauren. And Lauren has requested a lot of good stories. Bald Dead was Lauren's, right? Yes. That was good. This is tonight's victim, 22-year-old Eve Marie Carson. If you want to mm. describe her, Nicole. Um, blonde. Sweet. Pretty. Good-natured. Involved. Student, maybe? Student of where? I don't know. I, I, I don't well, know. Think college about, student, maybe? Well, so Lauren. I know she's from North Carolina. Is this, is this UNC? Yep. It, yeah, that's she's correct. She's wearing Carolina blue in the first two pictures. Well, the second one's kind of purple. This is Eve Marie Carson. She's 22 years old. At the time of her murder, she was a student at UNC. That's Ah. University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Tar Heels. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Tar Heels. Very good. So we're talking about her tonight. This is a heartbreaking story, especially, especially when you get to know who she was. You'll see that this is really heartbreaking. So I asked Lauren, who requested the story, if she knew Eve Carson or not. And she didn't. But just being around the university at the time that she was going to school, everyone knew who she was and how great of a person she was. So I never was actually lucky enough to ever have met Eve but a lot of her friends were still going to school at the same time that I had started. And you could definitely tell, like, just from hearing about her through these people, how great of a person, how kind and sweet and just overall beautiful soul she was. And it's just so sad that something like this had happened to someone like her who did everything right and was just such a nice person. All right, so this story starts March 5th, 2008. The girl you're looking at right here, 22-year-old Eve Marie Carson. It was late night, early Wednesday morning. Her roommates had actually left at 1.30 a.m., you know, because it's college. So they're going to go to right. the bar or whatever. Yeah. You know, even though I was like, wow, that's really late to, to go to the bar. To go to the bar? Yeah, to go to the bar. Hmm, yeah, isn't last call at two? That's what yeah. I was thinking. But maybe they were going to a house party. Yeah. yeah. They didn't really say in the research that I did. They also could have, like, been party hopping for example if they went to one party came home to that's a good point they could have came home back to the apartment and then went out again but what we do know is that the roommates left maybe for the first time maybe again at 1 30 and they invited their roommate and best friend miss carson here out with them but as you'll see she decided to stay in that night and pull an all-night study session. Mm. And you'll see why she decided to do that here in a minute. Before she decided to stay home and study, she had attended the Tar Heels men's basketball game against Florida State. I know Ooh. you said that um, Tar Heels. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they are, have a very famous sports program, especially basketball. Mm-hmm. They're not as good as Duke, to be honest. Puke. Uh, Duke, I don't really feel that way. That was just what actually we're say. going to do a kind of a full circle here. Duke also makes an appearance in tonight's hmm. story and not in a oh. really good way. So her roommates leave her at 1.30 a.m. Now, that's the last time they're ever going to see her alive again. They did have to identify her body, which has got to be brutal. She was discovered early Wednesday morning. 
and she was discovered at 5.15 a.m. She was dead about a mile away from the campus. Okay, police actually discover her initially because they were called by a citizen reporting gunshots. Now, this is 5.15 in the morning. So tonight we're going to ask the question, how did she go from her desk of studying to a mile away from campus in some dense brush area behind an apartment with five bullet wounds in her body. Shit. Now, she was obviously not going anywhere to party. She was wearing a dark blue T-shirt, gray sweatpants, and white running shoes. Hmm. And you'll see why she... So, yeah, it could have been a friend's house, yeah. Well, you'll see why she even put the running shoes on to begin with. I really doubt she was wearing those in her house to study. Her vehicle was also found, a blue 2005 Toyota Highlander. A tipster actually spotted that on Franklin Street. I know we were in the area when we did our live show up there. I've been around this area a lot when Mm -hmm. I lived in Charlotte. So I definitely know where Franklin Street is and where the UNC campus is. Like, I know exactly where this is. So let's get into her background a little bit. Eve Marie Carson, 22, from Athens, Georgia. She's a student living Mm. in the Hillcrest neighborhood northeast of campus. That's a controversial thing. She's from Athens, Georgia, and yet she goes to UNC. Yeah, because Athens got a, uh, what are they? The Bulldogs. The Bulldogs. Yeah, UGA, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so. Not that they're like as big of rivals, but still, like in the South, your college town. Yeah. You know, I'm sure it was a big expectation for her to go there. Yeah, as you'll see, I mean, she could go, she could go anywhere she wanted. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting, the whole fascination with college down here as mm -hmm. opposed to professional sports. Oh, yeah. Totally different. Yeah. I tried out for my, uh, our football team, University of Phoenix, but then I <laughs> then I realized they don't have one because it's so, a scam. So you, so you just did um, <laughs> stretches in front of some dude with a camera? Is that what you mean? This is from the Charlotte Observer, Friday, March 7th, 2008. If they saw a smile on Eve's face, they were smiling, said Carly Swain of Charlotte, a double major in journalism and drama. She was having fun. They had fun for a second because that's the kind of power she had over people. And continuing on with that same paper, uh, just to give you more about a background about who she is. Things just seem to be charmed for her, said Sam Hicks, a guidance counselor and boys soccer coach at Clark Central High School, where Carson graduated in 2004. She was brilliantly intelligent. She was a beautiful young lady. She was fiercely competitive on the soccer field. Okay, those aren't just words, because Eve Carson, student body president, When she went to Clark Central High School, she was a class president and valedictorian. Eve was a prestigious Moorhead Kane scholar. Not only that, she was a North Carolina fellow, four-year leadership development program for undergraduates. She was also a pre-med student, majoring in political science and (gasps) biology. I was a political science major. She double majored in political science and biology? That's a stretch. Wow. She's like trying to change the world. She is. I'm not even making fun of her. That's like... Ambitious. That is one of the things that's so heartbreaking about this case specifically is because she was someone that could change the world. Yeah. She barely had any free time. Remember, her friends are out at 1.30 a.m. And what is she doing? She's sitting at her desk studying. studying. Yeah. The free time she did have when she wasn't traveling to Cuba and volunteering in Ecuador and Egypt and Ghana. She's volunteering, helping out the the local people. 
She's doing that out of the goodness of her heart. She's paying for it out of her own pocket to go volunteer. When she's not doing that, she's volunteering as a science teacher at Chapel Hill Elementary School. Personally, I can't even come within 200 feet of an elementary school. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. Oh, shit. All right, Nicole, this is from her high school principal, Maxine Esom, E-A-S-O-M. She said this about Eve Carson. Eve was just the most wonderful young woman you would ever want to know. She was brilliant. She was absolutely beautiful. Everything she did was aimed at helping other people. It's one of the greatest tragedies I've ever known. Eve was one of the young women who could change the world. Has anyone ever noticed that in clips like this... Would you ever, if this was a man, would they ever talk about his looks? What do you mean? She was oh, absolutely yeah. beautiful. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. It's only an identifier for females. Maybe you'll see he was a handsome young man, but most or often. Or they would say good looking. But most often in these types of cases, a female's looks is an identifier and it is part of a woman's identity. Hashtag down with the patriarchy. Let me recap right quick before we move on. 22-year-old college student, her friends go out at 1.30 a.m. She decides to stay home in her apartment. She's studying. That's the last time they see her. At 5.15, the police approach her after being called for shots fired, and there she is. She's laying on the ground. She's deceased, and she's got five bullet wounds Mm. in her. I mean, she's—that's where we're at right now. Police actually acted pretty quick on this. So you got to give them credit. They went off the tip that her car was moved. Remember I said her car was spotted on Franklin Street. It was that 2005 blue Toyota Highlander. Mm-hmm. So what they did was say, okay, this most likely from what it looks like, because I know you're going to ask this later. I'm just going to get it out of the way. She was not from the autopsy report sexually assaulted mm. anyway. She still had all her clothes on, which... You know, they checked everything. Interesting. And she was not sexually assaulted. So thinking about how she got out there, the motive was most likely a robbery. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't sound like something that was very intimate. It sounds kind of like it was a random thing so far. They went to the ATM machines because ATM machines, they snap videos and stuff like that. Right, right, right. And at 3.55 a.m., which was 20 minutes after she was abducted, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. 20 Whoa. minutes later, an ATM picture caught this. Go to talkmer.com to see this photo right here. This is the uh, prime mm. suspect right here that you're looking at right now. Now, what you can't really see from this video is there was also someone in the back seat. I mean, there was two people in the back seat. One was her, and mm. she was being held at gunpoint, and then... This man's accomplice was also with him. Police did enhance the photo with color. So this is that same photo right here, but in color. Now you can kind of see, and it's very hard to Houston see. Houston Astros. Is that what that is? Yeah. That mm-hmm. Yep. Describe what you're seeing here. He looks to be mixed raced or um or African American male with a Houston Astros flat rim cap. Looks like he has a soul patch. What's um, a soul patch? You know. The soul patch. You have the, like the beard uh, under I can't chin. tell if it's a shadow, but he also looks like he has an afro that's sticking out from under his cap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
And so he's wearing a uh, gray hoodie. hoodie. Now, what they also noticed is you can kind of see someone in the back. That's why they enhanced the photo in the first place to, mm-hmm. to see if there was anyone in the back. The thing about this photo is this is Eve Carson's vehicle right here. This really? 2005 Blue Highlander. Police get this photo and then realize that this man you're seeing right now and an accomplice, which you can kind of see in the back, they abducted her when she was studying in her apartment. And I'm going to get into all how it happened in a second. They forced her into her own car, drove around to all these ATM machines, and in total, they pulled out $1,400. Okay. That was apparently what her life was worth to them, $1,400. So, yeah, you can see how this story really uh, drove me crazy. It's really interesting when you word it that way. That's what her life was to them was that amount of money and i know a lot of crimes are monetarily motivated you know robberies etc but fourteen hundred dollars really isn't a large sum and the well fa- they didn't have to kill her either. no they didn't they didn't rape her or anything mm-hmm. i'm gonna spoil it for you they killed her because she saw their faces uh. that was it and I believe after researching her background, she would have promised not to go to the police and just called this whole thing off. She would have probably moved to fuck out of North Carolina. But the one thing they did not have to do was kill her. Right. Mm-hmm. And they did that because, and the only reason because, she saw their faces. How did she see their face? Like, I mean, what, did they not? No, but, it is how he is if, right here. But if they, if they took her... Before, like, would they have made an effort to cover her face so they wouldn't have to do that? No, they just threw her in the car. No, they didn't give a fuck. So they didn't care regardless if they saw her face. No, dude, these these two guys do not give a shit at all. So that they knew that they were going to kill her, though. Yeah, they knew they were going to kill her. It wasn't like a, oops, she saw saw my face, I'm going to kill her, I have to kill her now. The whole time, the intent was... To kill her because they didn't bother to hide their face. Honestly, they're just stupid. You yeah. know, they're stupid people. But anyway, both of these men that were involved in this murder were apprehended. You have Lawrence Alvin Levette Jr. In January 2008, remember I said this was when? March 5th. Mm-hmm. In January of 2008, so. Oh, two months before. Two months before. Lawrence Alvin Lovett Jr. just turned 17. So he's uh, a minor, a 17-year-old doing this. Wow. And he was actually the driver. So go to talkmore.com to see this photo, but that is him right there. That's Lawrence Lovett Jr. The 17-year-old driver. Was that exactly. also the killer? Uh, they were both the killer. They, they both shot her. The autopsy. Five shots. Five shots, yeah. Now I'm going to get to the whole murder here in a second. Now, Lovett is from Durham. North Carolina. He was actually on probation already, which is really going to piss you off about this case because neither of these guys, 17 year old and 22 year old, should have been on the streets at all. They were both charged with felonies and nothing was done about it. Really? And this was a big outrage because you have someone that could still be living if they were properly. You know, locked up, if you will. Lovett was already on probation 
for a misdemeanor larceny and breaking and entering 10 days before he turned 17. And he was given a suspended sentence for these. The accomplice, 22-year-old DeMario James Atwater. He was actually arrested at 5 a.m. Wednesday, 12th of March, 2008. He was leaving his home at 5 a.m. He was under surveillance, and that's where they nabbed him. They already knew he was part of the murder, and so they were surveilling him, and then they nabbed him. And that was seven days after the murder of Eve Carson. He was 22 years old. He was convicted of felony breaking and entering in 2005 and illegal possession of a firearm in 2007. Both of these killers have lengthy rap sheets. I've always wanted to say that, lengthy rap sheets. I always hear the detectives Hmm. say that. (laughs) It's from a movie. Let's talk about the murder and how it went down right quick. That night, it was a Wednesday morning, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Mm. They're actually walking along East Rosemary Street, the two the two guys. Now, they're walking along there at 3.30 a.m. on March 5th looking to rob somebody. Oh. Like, that's what they're doing. They're going to go rob somebody. Well, that's rude. Yeah. That's when they came across Eve Carson's apartment. And what was she doing in there? Studying. She was studying. So to study, you have to have the light on. Right. The light was on, the blinds were up, and you could see like her silhouette in the, uh, window? In, the, in the window. What they see in their mind is the perfect opportunity. They see easy access. They see a female there sitting at the computer working at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. And they're trying to rob someone. They were hoping they would meet someone on the street, pull out the gun. Hey, give me your money. But that didn't happen. So here's the next best opportunity. The reason I'm saying it like that is because you need to be aware if it's late at night and you got the lights on and the blinds up, who's looking in? You know, I mean, not everyone out there is good people. I mean, look at these guys. They're fucking nightmares. So they spotted her in the house and they saw the perfect opportunity. Police know for a fact that Eve Carson opens an email on her account at 3.35 a.m. And that was the last activity that she has had in her life, you know, on the computer at her home. 20 minutes later at 3.55 a.m., is when the photo was taken, the one you see there on talkmer.com of the ATM. Mm-hmm. That was 20 minutes later. So this all happened extremely fast. You have two guys. They bust into the apartment. They immediately pull out the guns. They had a pistol and a sawed-off shotgun. You remember watching The Wire? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Omar, mm-hmm. he would carry a sawed-off shotgun. Yep. Yeah. So they had a sawed-off shotgun. They say, hey, we're robbing you. Let's go to the ATM right now. They force her in her own car, and then they drive to the ATM. It was very quick because she opened that email at 3.35 a.m., and they were at the ATM at 3.55. That's 20 minutes. One hour later at 4.55 a.m., she was dead. Shot four times with a handgun. Four times. And the last fatal shot at least according to the autopsy, was from the sawed-off shotgun. Hmm. And that hit her in the head. Oh, God, no. And that is not not a pretty sight. No. Not with a shotgun. 
at close range Price. in the head. Yeah. Price, yeah, is right. It's unnecessary. And in fact, I was talking to Savannah earlier and she knew about the case. She said it was just unnecessary, stupid, senseless murder that didn't need to happen. I mean, you know, the worst that could happen is these guys getting prisoned for armed robbery. Was it like five, ten years, yeah, maybe? No, it's nothing. murder. First and degree. Then, and then you have a woman that could change the world that would still be living. That's just how it is. That's why this case is really just bothers me a lot. The killers tried to destroy and then discard the weapons, but they were recovered by law enforcement. Atwater, the 22-year-old, he's the one that used a sawed-off shotgun. At first, they didn't know this for a fact, and the district attorney, Jim Woodall, says, quote, He had been seen with a weapon prior to this crime, and he has been seen with that weapon after that crime. He was talking about Atwater. The 22-year-old later admitted that he is the one that fired the last and fatal shot, according to the autopsy. So the last shot was a sawed-off shotgun, and that was the one that impacted the head, and that was supposedly the fatal shot. All in all, to recap this whole event, these two guys were walking down the street looking for someone to rob. They see the light on. They see her silhouette. They break in, force her into her own car, drive her around for about two hours, make her withdraw. $1,400. They stopped at a lot of ATMs and, you know, that limit where you can only withdraw so much or whatever. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it didn't work, but all in all, they got $1,400. The reason they killed her came out in the courtroom and it was because she saw their faces, which is such a fucking dumb excuse. One of the saddest parts in this case, if you want to read this headline, Nicole, this is from CBSNews.com. UNC student asked to pray before murder, says witness. Oh, gosh. The witness that they're talking about in that article is 20-year-old Jason, J-A-Y-S-O-N, McNeil. He provided testimony in the courtroom as a plea bargain because he was facing a federal drug charge. He was an acquaintance of the 17-year-old Lavette Jr., the driver, and apparently when the 22-year-old Atwood was arrested, Lavette got all worried, scared, and he called this guy Jason McNeil asking for a place to hide. And that's when he told him this entire story, which he relayed to the jury. This is from his testimony right here, if you want to read this, Nicole. Before Lavette even shot her, she was saying, let's pray. 20-year-old Jason McNeil said, recounting a March 2008 conversation he had with Lavette, who is charged with murder in the crime, CBS affiliate WRAL reports. She wanted them to pray together, McNeil reportedly said in court Tuesday. Here's how it goes down. For about an hour and a half after they forced her in the car, they're driving. Now, you can't see her in the ATM photo because her head is down. She's got a gun to her, the back of her head, and she's in the back seat. When they finally get done with pulling out all the money they can, they drive to this little wooded spot. They make her get out. And at that time, they're probably talking. 
and say, hey, we got to kill her because she has seen our faces and she's going to turn us in. And once Eve Carson realized that she was going to die and having the guns pointed in her face, I mean, because they were they were discussing whether they should kill her or not. And the whole time she was pleading with him. This is another quote from McNeil to the jury. Quote, love it, said the whole time that Eve Carson was in the back seat, that she was pleading for her life and explained that they didn't have to do what they were doing. She's not saying, please let me live. You don't do this to me, please. She's saying, you guys are better than this. You don't have to go down this route. You guys are better than this. You know, she's like even faced with death. She took the high road like that. The saddest part about this case is she's outside of the car. They're talking about executing her. And this is about five in the morning. And once she realizes that she's about to die and there's no other alternative because they've already made their mind up, she simply asks them to pray with her. Mm, and I feel that is that is just... Oh, it's like just... Breaks your heart. Yeah, it does break your heart. It really does. And in the last moments of her life, it's truly heartbreaking. But she had asked her abductors and would-be murderers to pray with her because she knew she wasn't getting out of this alive. From the little tidbits I know about her, she was an amazing person. They didn't have to kill her. Most likely, and I don't know her personally, she would have. she would have probably forgiven him. And said this, y'all don't have to, because she was saying, y'all don't have to do this. This isn't, this isn't the way to do things. She could have helped them. You know, and you know, it's just so She was probably praying for them in her last Mm -hmm. moments too, you know. Selfless, very selfless. Yeah. And geez. Yeah, she was selfless. I mean, uh, her free time, like I said, she was using her own money to go to Ghana and Egypt to volunteer to help help people in need over there. So now I'm going to brief over this real quick, just because there was a public outrage about this. But as I said before, DeMario Atwater, the 22 year old, he was actually on probation since he was 21, but he actually didn't know that because his parole officer didn't contact him the entire year. If you guys can tell, this is going down the route of the system is broken. And a lot of public outrage in Charlotte is about how the system is broken. Atwater's PO didn't even contact him within the year. This guy didn't even know he was on parole. His probation, the guy you're looking at the top right here, if you go to talkmer.com, his probation was actually handled and he was shuffled around by 10 different parole officers. Lawrence Levette, the 17-year-old, he was also on probation, but he did not know because his parole officer never contacted him at all. Now, I'm not saying that that is an excuse for murder in any way, but I am saying that these killers were going down the wrong road. And I believe that the system, if it was working correctly, I mean, they would have been in jail for this stuff. I mean, Mm. they had multiple charges and now they're out and they're not even being checked on by their parole officer. And the reason I'm glossing over that real quick is because it was a public outrage and it is part of the case. So I feel like I have to. Does it make sense? 
Another thing that I've got to go over real quick because it is a part of the case. And like Lauren, if you know this case well, because it's close to home, you most likely don't know this aspect. This is completely unrelated to the murder. I just found this extremely interesting and just completely weird. And it also ties into the rest of the story. 2014, a Raleigh News and Observer reporter, which is a newspaper there, was traveling in India, of all places. He spotted this billboard while he was traveling in India, and it caught his eye. Go to talkmore.com because you definitely want to see this. This is very weird for a true crime case. I, I, there's no other true crime case where you would ever see this. This is in 2014, and he spots this. Hmm. Do you see the picture? That's yeah. the murder victim, Eve Carson. Right. So what you're looking at now is a billboard in India. And this has nothing to do with the murder. It's a sidetrack, I know. It is part of her story, so I, I want to cover it. Now, this is a billboard that was in India that was spotted. And if you want to read this, the company is Jubarish, and I probably mispronounced that, but it's a consultancy that helps students travel abroad and eventually find work after their schooling. It's, you know, right. I don't know and if we have those here. Her picture? It, it was using her picture. Now, I want to say that That's they... bizarre. Yeah. They didn't actually know anything about her murder. They were just using the picture because they were probably using a lot of students' pictures. But... It is interesting because I don't think this has ever really happened in true crime before. If you want to read this, this is from the Charlotte Observer, Friday, March 23rd, 2012. Justy Matthews, a director with Jubilee Consultancy, wrote of his deep agony, pain and hearty condolence and my unconditional apologies from the bottom of my heart. In an email to the Raleigh News and Observer, Matthews said that the use of Carson's image was an inadvertent mistake from one of the subcontractors who knew nothing of Carson's murder. He said he had sent a new subcontractor to look for the billboards, and one was removed immediately. So they did remove the billboards. Now, this isn't part of the murder or whatever. I'm just, it's part of her story, so I'm including it in there. You guys understand That's that, right? That's weird, though. It is weird, right? It's very weird. And it's really weird that a Raleigh News and Observer reporter was just in the right place at the right time, because there's probably not many of them billboards. Right. And imagine if it wasn't, if he didn't see that, you know, maybe that billboard would still be up today. You don't even know. Yeah. 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 I did read the report from this company, and I do believe they had no clue. They were probably just pulling images. Oh, she looks like a perfect student, and they didn't go into the background. Typical American girl. Yeah. So go ahead and read this. This is from the same paper, but uh, it kind of shows you how sorry they were for doing that. In a rambling email that included personal apologies to Carson's family members by name, Matthews wrote that he was shocked to learn that the terrifying story of Carson's killing. He also apologized to friends, classmates, university leaders, Eve Carson's well-wishers, all Americans and North Carolinians. <laughs> Let's talk about the sentencing right quick, and then I'm going to take a little twist in the case. DeMario Atwater, 22... He was facing lethal injection by the state of North Carolina. And in fact, Orange County has not sent a man to death since 1948. And I believe that was the reason why he was not sent to death row. He also took a plea deal 
to exchange everything that happened. That's how we know about the murder. That's how we know about everything that happened. He admitted to firing the last and fatal shot with a shotgun, and he pleaded guilty to several felonies, including state murder charges, weapon charges, and kidnapping. Now, he tells the family, quote, I'm sorry. On the 23rd of September 2010, he receives life in prison without the possibility of parole. So he's going to be in there for the rest of his life. The defense attorneys tried to argue for a lighter sentence because his, quote, life of hardship. Mm, but, so sad. Yeah, it is sad. But they didn't go down that route. So he got life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, Levette Jr., the 17-year-old, was not eligible for the death penalty because he was 17. But in a twist in this case that I'm going to tell you about, he was also charged with another murder. Really? Yeah, a completely different murder. He was charged with a first-degree murder of a student from Duke University. Oh. Now, his, and I'm probably going to fuck this all up, and I'm really sorry. I don't mean to, but I really can't pronounce this. His name is Abhijit Mohato, which is A-B-H-I-J-I-T, Abhijit Mohato. I'm really sorry if I mispronounced that. Go to talkmore.com to see his photos. I'm putting his photos up there for you guys. He was also a victim of a robbery slash murder. This was three months before the Eve Carson uh, murder. Really? Three months. Now, I want to go into his background because I believe that is the most important thing about this case is to bring light upon the victims right. and kind of highlight their accomplishments, if you will, in their life. Abahajit was a graduate student pursuing a Ph.D. at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. He was actually found dead by his friends, including one Santano Ghosh and his friend Ghosh actually put up a petition, like a change.org petition, saying that he never received justice. He was actually murdered on the night of January 18th, 2008. So you remember Eve Carson, March 5th, 2008. So this is this not is, very far ahead Yeah, it's time, two yeah. months, almost three months. Levette is the one that murdered and robbed this guy. So basically right when he turned 17, he went on a killing spree. A little bit more on his background. He came from Tatanagar, India, and grew up in Calcutta. Remember Stone Man murders? mm -hmm. That was where the Stone Man was killing people. Mahato's intellect was something that I can't even imagine. He earned a mechanical engineering degree, Jadafpur University in Calcutta. He had a master's from IIT in Kanpur. He was academically brilliant. At the time he was at Duke University, pursuing his Ph.D. for computational mechanics. Whoa. Brilliant. He was friendly, obviously, as you see in the pictures, always wearing a smile. After he got his master's degree, he was working at GE in Bangalore, India, before deciding to pursue his Ph.D. He loved photography and playing chess. So were the killers charged for this murder as well, ultimately? That's a really good question. I'm going to get to that in one second. If you want to read this, this is from one of his best friends. He was happy and living his life to the fullest, working hard to earn his Ph.D., when a senseless piece of crime robbed him of the most precious thing he had, his life. 
His parents lost their only son. His sister lost her brother. We lost a friend and the world lost a wonderful person. Unfortunately, you don't hear about his murder as much, but I definitely wanted to cover it because it's just as important. Unfortunately, the prosecution really didn't have much to go on. They based their entire case on one star witness. Her name was Shanita Love. Kudos to her for testifying in a murder trial. She actually didn't want to bring Lavette as the primary killer to the police until they arrested the wrong suspect in the case. She was a close acquaintance of Lavette Jr., the 17-year-old. She testifies that he actually talked about robbing and killing him on Anderson Street on January 18, 2008, three months before the Eve Carson murder. It was another robbery. You know, give me your money, stuff like that. Oh, shit, you see my face. You got to die. And that was basically it. Another sad thing about this murder is that Levette's younger brother, which was 14 years old at the time, his name was Philip Mabrey, M-A-B-R-E-Y, was with him when he shot and killed Mahato. Hmm. Now, the younger brother, Mabrey, he claimed that he was with his brother, but outside in the parking lot of the Anderson apartments when he heard the gunshot. The star witness, Shanita Love, testified that she witnessed both of the brothers, the 17-year-old and his younger brother, the 14-year-old, divvying up the merchandise, the bounty, if you will, the cash, the iPod. There was a video recorder, and then they actually distributed that to their family, their immediate family, which is really sick to me. Yeah. That's because gross. why would you ever, ever want to keep a fucking iPod of someone you just murdered? Mm. I mean, Jesus. That's so, it's so Christ. personal. I mean, I mean, even money. Are you serious? Like, I would never take blood money like that, ever. Mm-mm, no. I mean, the karma that's going to come with that shit? And Fuck I agree. That. I agree. But in a weird way, I kind of feel like the iPod is even worse. Yeah, because, like, you can't just spend it and be rid of it. No, but, like, only because, like, with money, like, cash has, like, you know, cash goes from hand to hand. And that's, you know, you don't really think of who you got that bill from but like to look at an ipod and to see like um my favorites or like different names of different playlists yeah he had to like delete his fucking playlist it's yeah it's just kind of weird oh let me delete all this guy this indian guy's playlist he's listening to all this dumb shit let me delete that the younger brother was never charged because the prosecution i mean think about it hey um levette 17 year old we need you to testify against your younger brother. I mean, come on. That ain't going to happen. So he he was never brought to court. Hmm. The really sad thing about this murder, not only that it didn't get the publicity. Basically, I had to search for it, research it. And there's hardly any write-ups about it. But there was no DNA. In Eve Carson's 2005 Highlander, there was DNA. There was pictures of the ATM. It was DNA from the killers in the car. In Mahato's car, there was not. Okay, there was no eyewitness. There was no forensic evidence. There was no fingerprints. There was nothing. There was only one thing, and that was a star witness in her testimony. That was it. Wow. Okay. 
She actually came forward because investigators accused the wrong man. At first, they accused this guy, Stephen Oates, and they arrested him and everything. They were going to put him on trial and everything, and that's why she came forward. She also said that he tried to rob a Hispanic man at the Colonial Apartments and shot him in the leg. Ooh. Now, this is dude. this guy was 16 and he just turned 17 and all of a sudden he's on this fucking crime spree. Hmm. You know, it's ridiculous, man. And actually, the nine millimeter shell casing from that crime scene of the Hispanic man matched the casing from the Mahato crime. Oh, but the thing about it is they never found the handgun. Hmm. And if they found the handgun, they can match it, you know, because it would have his fingerprints on it and they can match the shells and then prove that he killed Mahato. But you guys know where I'm going with this. This is from the Charlotte Observer, Saturday, July 26, 2014. Prosecutors called various investigators and police officers who testified that those crimes did occur around the time Mahato was killed, but they were unable to produce any evidence, such as fingerprints or DNA from the stolen Mercedes or the shootings of the Hispanic man that linked Levette to those crimes. The stolen Mercedes was an important part of the state's case because security cameras at the bank, where the money was withdrawn from Mahato's account, showed the top and front of a Mercedes. Because of the angle of the cameras, the people inside of the Mercedes were not visible. But now, obviously, that was his car. I mean, it was the same setup as the Eve case. I'm going to drive your car to the ATM. Same thing. So that article basically says... What you guys don't want to hear is there was no evidence. And when there's no evidence, there's really nothing that the defense can do. So if you want to read this, this is from ABC Eyewitness News 11 from July 31st, 2014. The headline. Lawrence Levette found not guilty in second murder trial. Hmm. So he was acquitted by 12 members of a jury simply because of the lack of evidence. But the first trial he... Got life. Yeah, the, yeah, he did get life for the first trial, yeah. But the Mahato case, he did not get any justice for that. That's kind of what I want to throw. I mean, he is in life. He is in prison for life, yes. Mm. But he was acquitted for the Mahato case. Did you guys ever wonder why it's 12 people on a jury as, a, as opposed to an odd number, like 11 or 13? I don't know why. Who would put eleven people on a jury? That'd because be weird. It, because with, with an <laughs> well, no, think about it. Because like with a jury, well, actually, it's fourteen people because you usually have two alternates. Oh, well, even still, <laughs> like with an odd number, like you have to have a majority, but with an even number, you don't. But even though the rule is that it has that's to be a good point, Jen, you have to be unanimous. But like. Yeah, that is right. Why would it be? Why would it? Why wouldn't you want an odd number? That's a good point. That's actually a really good point. I never thought about that. You know, I, it's probably because I believe humans just like even numbers. They just they're rounded off. Yeah. Uh, see, know? but here's what I think. Here's <laughs> I think my rounding. My I don't know why, but my brain does not like even numbers or odd numbers. I only like intervals of five. You know what's really crazy? I like even. When I learned this, I was mind blown is so we use base 10 right Mm -hmm. it's the number system we only use that because we have 10 fingers okay we also have 10 toes so both killers are in prison for life you guys got any questions about anything 
No. It's a pretty depressing case. It's really sad. Thanks it a is. lot, Lauren, for your depressingness. We love you, Lauren. Yes, we do love you, Lauren. It's just very sad that, you know, both of these victims were so... Fucking well, brilliant? Yeah, I know. Well, I, I would like to say they were so intelligent, but that, that doesn't make it any better or worse than if someone of less intelligence was murdered. Yeah, but she was in her apartment studying Yeah, because she was such a brilliant person, which pissed me off. Yes. Because if she wasn't, she'd be at the club drinking and she would have been fine. Some of the quotes that she had were so beautiful and so sweet about how much she loved the campus. We put on the back of the t-shirt still and it's just a nice memory to have of her. It's very sad. It is a very sad story. Two other things I want to go over real quick. The parents of Eve Carson and the younger brother were actually too grief-stricken to even talk to media. Mm -hmm. And I looked through all the papers. I have not seen one interview with the parents. Hmm. And so they must be really, really hurting still about this. The only positive thing about the Eve Carson case is the scholarship in her name. Mm, that's awesome. Every year they give a scholarship to someone, you know, who deserves it. Nice. I'm putting the link on talkmurder.com about this year's scholarship. It talks about Carrie Reed. She is the um, awardee of the scholarship. So recipient. Recipient of the uh, scholarship. But um, I'm glad that you recommended it, Lauren. It's a really interesting case, and I hope I did it some justice for you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our student body, go talkmar.com slash join. Become a talk host supremo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it and I'll dedicate it to you on the Talk More to Me podcast. My name is Jen here with John and Nicole. And until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people.